spent any time on Facebook, uh, then you have these, um, I don't know, how would we say it kindly, obnoxious uh, invitations to play games and, and to take it. You know, I've even seen a few people post threats that if you invite me to another game, I'm going to defriend you. I've never done that. Just want to be clear. Uh, but you see these uh, opportunities to take these assessments, you know, uh, these little tests, these little quiz to figure out who you are. And so uh, some of them are sort of worded like this, how, how whatever are you? How southern are you? You know, and you take this little quiz, you'll find out, uh, apparently I'm 73% southern. Uh, I don't know what the rest is. And how redneck are you? I'm only 37% redneck. I felt pretty good about that. Uh, what, what city should you live in? Of course, I don't, just in case, anybody outside our region would assume there's no difference between Southern and Redneck, but clearly, because of the highly scientific test of Facebook, we can see that it is. What city should you live in? I should live in Paris. I have no idea why. I don't know if that's Paris, Tennessee, or Paris, France. I'm not sure about that. How Florida are you? I didn't take that. I'm from Alabama. Uh, which Disney princes are you? I got Cinderella. I don't know <laughs> what that means. How awesome is your husband or wife? Or what doctor character are you? I got Rose Tyler. I don't even know who that is. I don't watch doctor shows. How awesome is your best friend? I already knew that. Just awesome. So I didn't need to take that one. I skipped it. So if you, if you go on there, there's these endless assessments you can take to help you figure out, you know, who you are. There are personality assessments Conflict resolution style assessments, leadership style, learning style, spiritual gifts, emotional intelligence assessments. In our discipleship group that we do, we take a character assessment and on and on and on. And many of these are much more sophisticated and much less silly than the ones that you find on Facebook. And they give us some insight into our uniqueness, into who, who we are. But the most important understanding of your identity that you'll ever have it's understanding who you are in Christ. When you and I receive Jesus, if you've received Jesus into your life, if He's forgiven you, if you walk in relationship with God, you've had a fundamental identity change. You are not the person that you were. Maybe, maybe you've ran into people who knew the old you, and then now they, have, and they go, man, you're different. Yes, you are different. You should be different. You've had a fundamental identity change. And that identity change carries a lot of meaning with it. So what does that change mean? The book of Ephesians perfectly answers that question. Verse after verse after verse, it unpacks who we are, who we are as Christians. Now I've uh, just given you a little outline here to show you where we've been in the book of Ephesians. We've been studying this summer, uh, chapter by chapter, sort of a, a section by section, what, who does Ephesians say that we are? You heard... Jeremy said a few minutes ago, in chapter 1, I am blessed. Would you say that with me? I am blessed. The second part of chapter 1, I am victorious. Say that. I am victorious. Chapter 2, I am alive. Say that. I am alive. The second part, I am reconciled. Come on. I am reconciled. And then ch uh, chapter 3, I am called. Say that with me. I am called. The second part, I am loved. Say that with me this morning. I am loved. Well, that, those are good confessions, aren't they? Ephesians is divided up in two sections. Chapter 1 through 3 tells us who we are, but there's not one instruction 
or direction about how we ought to live or how we, what we ought to do. In chapter 1 through 3, you're not going to find any of that. Chapter 1 through 3 is jam-packed with, the, with the, the, uh, the theological understanding of the identity of the believer. We spent a lot of time on that. We spent most of the series so far. We're about to turn the corner, though. So uh, the reason that we spend a lot of time on that is because we have a tendency to behave what we believe. In other words, however we act is an outgrowth of something that we believe, right or wrong. Usually when you attack something on a behavioral level, you're only attacking a symptom. You're not dealing with the cause. I'll give you an example. Uh, You didn't behave your way into becoming a Christian. In other words, you didn't open the Bible one day and say, here's all the things that a Christian is supposed to do. I'm going to do those, and therefore, I've done enough of them now. I've tipped the scale, and now I've behaved my way into becoming a Christian. No, what happened? Your belief changed. You met God somewhere, and your belief changed about who God was and about how much He loved you and about His death on the cross. Your belief changed, and as your belief changed, your behavior started to change. That's the way the identity of the belief. So that's why the Ephesians is laid out this way. The first three chapters are about the theology of who we are in Christ. Now, today we kind of start the second section in chapter 4. Chapter 4 through 6 is about our behavior. It's about how in light of who we are in Christ, how ought we to act? How do we live the Christian life? In chapter 1 through 3, there's not one instruction about how to live the Christian life. In chapter 4 through 6, there are 35 instructions about how to live the Christian life and and what that means to us. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at chapter 4 or the first part of chapter 4 through a particular lens, through the question that it answers. So we've said so far, I am blessed, I'm victorious, I'm alive, I'm reconciled, I'm called, and I'm loved. Here's what I want to start when we start chapter 4. I want to look at chapter 4 through this lens. Why? Why am I blessed? Why am I victorious? Why am I alive? Why am I reconciled? Why am I called? Why am I loved? So that you might live the Christian life effectively. You You are called and loved and blessed and victorious and reconciled and all these things, that you might do these 35 things. You are equipped and empowered and resourced that you might live the Christian life. So in light of that, let's look at Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Today's going to be much more uh, of a teaching. And so I want to encourage you, I've got a lot of scripture to share with you. I want to encourage you, if you have something you can write with or a a smart device you want to take some notes on, I want to encourage you to do that. Because we're going we're gonna to look deeper into the Scripture maybe than we normally do or look at more Scriptures. Ephesians 4.1 sets the tone for the corner we just turned. As a prisoner for the Lord, remember Paul the Apostle is a prisoner. He's writing this book to circulate among churches. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So we're not talking about, we're not talking about the, necessarily the identity of the believer, but because of who God made you to be now, I urge you to live a life worthy. Live up to what God made you to be. That's what he's saying. Live a life worthy. So how do we live a life worthy of our calling? How do we walk out our identity? How do we walk out, I'm blessed, 
I'm victorious. I'm called. I'm loved. How do we live that? Now, there are a lot more answers in this stretch of passage than I can cover this morning. So I, I just want to try to narrow it down and really focus on one of them. I'll give you the answers, but, but I really want to focus on one of the two. The first part of chapter 4 talks about how we are to walk in godly character. How am I to live out? How am I to live worthy of the calling God put on my life as a Christian? Well, the first way is to walk in godly character toward each other. He says, and I think of verse 4 or 5, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Here's the second way, and this is the one that I want to focus on this morning. Walk out your giftedness. Walk out your godly character. That's the foundation of the Christian life. And then walk out your giftedness. So here's what I want us to say this morning in our understanding of the identity God's given us. I am gifted. Would you say that with me this morning? I am gifted. You're gifted. For everybody in the room that says, I'm not good at nothing. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's not what the Bible says. You are good at something. You do have ability. You are gifted. You do have strengths. You do have skills. You do have something to contribute. And so that's this idea. This is a good confession. I am gifted. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this, this part of Ephesians, this part of the identity of the believer through the lens of, but why? Why are you gifted? I am gifted. You are gifted. God has gifted you. But why are you gifted? Let me give you three thoughts this morning. Here's the first one. I am gifted because of God's grace. Now, now that, that you, may, you may sound like, okay, now let's move on to something important. I'm telling you, if you miss this one, the rest of them don't matter. Trust me. I, I've lived through ministry. I've lived through church life long enough to tell you, if you miss this one, no matter how basic, no matter how simple it sounds, I'm saying to you, the other ones are going to be much less effective. I am gifted because of God's grace. So look at Ephesians 4, 7. And if you have a pen, I want you to, I want to, I want you to circle a few words. I want to show you this a few places in Scripture. But to each one of us, what is that next word? Grace. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one. How, to how many? Everybody. To each one of us. Not the superstars, not the mega, the, the one up front, not the talented. No, no, no. To each one, grace has been given as Christ decided. As he apportioned it. Within the church, each person has a distinctive part to play, a unique service to do. Now watch this. The ability to do that service is called grace. God has given you a grace ability. He's given you a grace service. He's given you a grace gift. He's made you strong in areas by His grace. He's apportioned it to you. In chapter 3, if you go back and look there of Ephesians, Paul said he became apostle to the Gentiles by the gift of God's grace. That was the giftedness that God gave him. Now look at uh, Romans 12, 5, and 6. I want to ask you to circle another word. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts why? Why do we have different gifts? According to what? According to the grace given to each one of us. 
So grace is the ministry that God has given you. Grace is the ability to do that ministry. Grace is the strength. Grace is the gift. Grace is the skill. Grace is the talent. Grace is, it's by grace that you have that. The gifted ability that God's given you to serve his family is God's grace to you. Now look, I'm going to just confess to you, I've had this wrong at different times in my life. Entering into ministry wide-eyed and young and filled with dreams and filled with passion. I've had it wrong. I would dream of all the things that I could do for God. And, and the things that I can do for God are a misunderstanding of grace. My, now, you might want to write this down. My service is not my gift to God. It's God's gift to me. Are you here? Service is not your gift to God. Ushering and greeting and working the nursery and, and, and preaching and teaching and leading a life group and standing and singing and playing an instrument and painting or drawing or photography or video or sound or lighting or construction or building or going on a mission trip. That's not your gift to God. That's God's gift to you. I'm telling you, we got to get that one right. Or the rest of it doesn't matter. Maybe the better question is, why do I get to have a gift at all? Why do I even have a place at the table? Why do I get to make a contribution? Why do I get to help God do his work on earth? His gifts are his grace to us. Our service is our gratitude back to him for his gift. Instead of asking, why am I not good at more... Anybody ever ask that? You see somebody that's just like a prodigy, and you say, man, I wish I could, I wish I was good at more stuff. Why am I not good at more? Maybe a better question would be, why am I good at anything? Because your ability is God's grace. You are God's gift to the church. I remember when I was a, a youth pastor, we were trying to build a worship team for our youth group. And... Um, in that, in that worship team, I mean, look, I don't sing. I mean, I do, but you wouldn't come. I, I, I don't play any instruments except maybe, you know, podcasts, the internet. I don't play nothing. I, don't, I just don't have that ability. But I can lead stuff. And so, so I started taking these teenagers and, like, can you sing? And, you know, I think you can sing. I'm kind of tone deaf, but I think you can, so let's try that. And, you know, it sounds like you had a chord there or something. Let's put you up there. And we're trying to build this worship team. And man, uh, we were in desperate need of people to be on that team. And uh, we, we had a little bit of strength. We were trying to add to it. And there was this young guy in our youth, in our high school ministry, that could play the guitar. Uh, and so he, wanted, he said, I want to be on. Okay, great. Man, I, we needed him. We needed him so bad. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is going to help. People are not going to hold their ears when we do worship anymore. It's going to be incredible. Uh, and so I went and talked to him. And we started talking, and, and I'd already known. He knew how to play guitar and bass. We had a guitar player. It was okay. He knew we had no bass player. I said, man, you know what? I'd love to have you on the team. We talked about everything. If, if you could come and play bass for us, uh, man, that would really help the team out. And I remember him saying to me, uh, I don't like to play the bass. If I can't play guitar, I'm not, play, I'm not playing. And that was a crisis for me. Because I was stuck between like really needing his ability on the team and, and wondering how do, how do I work that out? I didn't know how to work that out.
Nobody, they don't teach you stuff like that in Bible school. They teach you about, you know, uh, the end times and stuff like that. Teach you nothing about none of that. How do you work out a guy that don't want to play the guitar? I don't know. So, so I, I talked to him and I prayed about that. I thought, man, it just, something it was bothering me. I thought, it just doesn't seem, this doesn't seem right to me somehow in my spirit. Something's not right. So I went and talked to him. I said, look, I love you. Uh, you're gifted. You're talented. I want you on this team. But I'm just being honest with you. The place the team needs you is on the base. And, because we got nobody there. And maybe in time, as more people come on, we can move you over to guitar and lead. Well, he wanted to do lead guitar, of course. That's the only kind there is, lead guitar. And so, and so I said, look, if you would just join and serve like that, I'm sure in time we can work that up. And he said, no, if I'm not playing the, uh, the guitar, I'm not, I'm not going to be on the team. And I said, well, here's, here's how I feel. Until you're willing to do what the, what's best for the team, you won't be on the team, no matter what you play. So I love you, and I want you, and the door's open, and you can come back anytime you want. But until you're willing to do what's best, not for you, but for the group, then I can't have you. And so we kind of left it there. And I thought, man, I wonder if that was right. <laughs> and we, we left. About six months or a year later, I don't remember, he came back to me. He had had a, a radical change in life. He said, you know what? I am so grateful that I even have this ability, anything you need me to do, I'll do it. I said, great, would you play the bass? He said, I'll play it gladly. And he did. And before long, we were able to shift him over to guitar. And I'll tell you something, I took that young guy on an airplane with me to Buenos Aires, Argentina, and we played in about seven different churches. He stowed his guitar up on the plane, and he unloaded that thing, and he would sit in the airports and play. He would sit on stage in Argentina. And I literally, one night, I remember turning around and looking at him behind me, sitting there playing that guitar and crying on stage. And I said, now, 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 what a beautiful thing. He understood that that service was God's gift to him. And that he got to do it. It was by grace that he had that opportunity. See, this wrong belief about our gifts sometimes surface in different ways. Sometimes when we go through a hard time or we're really suffering, we're tempted to think, after all I've done for God, why would he allow this to come into my life? A better question might be, why were you able to do anything for God? Why do you have arms and legs that work? Why do you have a voice? Why do you have sight? Why do you have talent? Why do you have strengths? Why do you have gifts at all? Because of God's grace. That's his gift. That's his blessing. He gave them to you. You're not loaning your gift to God. He's loaning his gift to you. By the way, the Bible teaches he's going to want them back. When we get to heaven, he's going to ask. Put it right here. How'd you do with that? What did you do with that? Our service is not we've done for God, it's what he's done for us. He gave us a role by his grace. I heard a, a missionary to Africa tell this story. He was traveling around in a very poor part of Africa, and he was preaching in uh, several churches. And it came time for the offering, and at this particular place in Africa, uh, the, the people were so poor they hardly even had food. And the way they did the offering is when it was time for the offering, the music would start and, and somebody would instruct, we're going to take the offering. And then people would stand up and they would come to the front and they would lay their offering on the altar and then they would walk back. And so as the missionary was there in the worship service watching, because there was so much poverty, a few people that were wealthier a couple of, brought a couple of chickens, some brought some bags of rice, 
Some, some brought uh, some fruit off uh, trees. Some, some brought a, little, a few little coins. And then he noticed this one, uh, a few people scattered around that came, two or three men that came and knelt on the altar. And they just began to cry violently. And the missionary looked at the pastor and he said, Why? I've never seen anybody cry during the offering before. Why are these guys crying? He said, they're crying because their hearts are broken because they have nothing to give to God. Now that's somebody right there that I would say are some of the richest people on earth. Because it reflects an understanding of our role in the kingdom is by God's grace. By God's grace. Why, why are you gifted? Because God's grace made you gifted. There's no other explanation for it. So here's the, here's the second thought. Why are you gifted? I am gifted to help bring the church to maturity. I am gifted to help bring the church to maturity. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and you say, shoo, good, I'm none of those, I'm off the hook. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And what is this word? And become what? And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is such a counter-cultural thing to teach. It's difficult to fit into our thinking. Why are you gifted? Well, all right, the confession is, I am gifted. Why are you gifted? You're gifted by God's grace. Why else are you gifted? You are gifted to help mature the church. This is the hardest message on earth to teach in our culture because everything in our culture is so consumeristically driven. It's about how does it apply to me? We're, we're, we're taught, even in college, when we're taught how to preach, we're taught uh, how you have to help people apply the Bible to themselves. Good preaching will somehow answer the questions, how does this apply to me? What does this have to do with my life? But in this case, the answer, how does it apply to me, is this. It's not about you at all. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the larger body of Christ. So why participate? Why be involved? Why invest myself? To help mature the church. The church can't be mature without you, but I've got other news. You can't be mature without the church. Jesus made it that way. Until you bring your gifts, why are you gifted? You are gifted so that you might bring your gifts to bear on the body of Christ. And as you bring your gifts to the table, the church strengthens and grows up. But there is no, if you read the entire book of Ephesians, I challenge you to look at it and read it. This is one of the major themes of the book that we're just now getting to in chapter 4. There's nothing in the book that defines maturity on an individual basis. There is no such thing as an individually mature Christian. But as the body matures, it lifts individuals into maturity with it. As the body grows up, as we contribute with our gifts, as we serve, as we give, uh, give our gifts, as we develop, as we rise, as we grow, the whole body of Christ rises up in strength. And that's so countercultural to, to our culture that thinks that everything is individual. And what do I get out of it? And what's in it for me? And how does it affect me? And, and, and what's going to happen in my life? 
we, we are gifted to help mature the church. And I think we've misunderstood or underestimated the value of maturity. Let me say it another way. I think that we've underestimated the cost of immaturity. As if immaturity has no price. How are you and I going to resist the traps of the enemy set through cultural expression? How are we going to resist seduction and pornography and misguided sexuality and shallow living and selfishness and a victim mentality and materialism and greed and consumerism? How will we resist those traps of the enemy? There's only one answer that works. Look, I've, I've worked with people in multiple states. I've been in many different churches. I'm telling you, there's only one answer. It's maturity. Those things have to be outgrown. Look, even what did even Jesus said? The man that was demon-possessed. What happens? He takes the demon out. He sweeps the house and cleans it. And what happens? If something doesn't happen inside that man and he remains a void, what does the Bible teach us? That demon will go get other demons and come back with more, and he'll be worse than he was in the beginning. Right? So maturity is the only answer. I ran across a powerful um, devotional. How many of you have read Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest? Read that? Oh, incredible, isn't it? Incredible. Just so happens for July 12, 2014, he focused on Ephesians 4.13. And I want to show you a, a, a part of that. Till we all come... To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's how, what he writes. The reconciliation of the human race according to his plan means realizing him not only in our lives individually. In other words, he's not just, he's not just active for me. But also in our lives collectively. Jesus Christ sent apostles and teachers for this very purpose. Why? That the corporate person, the body of Christ, the whole body of Jesus... And his church, made up of many members, might be brought in, in, into being and made known. We are not here to develop, this is very important, we are not here to develop a spiritual life of our own or to enjoy a quiet spiritual retreat. We are here to have the full realization of Jesus Christ for the purpose of building his body. Am I building up the body of Christ or am I only concerned about my own personal development? I don't know if you remember this about 15 years ago or maybe 20 now, when, when like uh, at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million, the, the, the religious or self-help section started to explode. And, and in uh, some Christian bookstores, it looks like that now. Seven ways to do this, five ways to do that, blah, 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 blah. Here's the problem with that. Two problems. One is almost all the self-help books focus on your weakness. Ephesians' focus is on your strength. The, the second thing is, almost all of them are applied on an individual basis, not on the corporate body of Christ. Until you live for something bigger than yourself, you will never be mature. You have to grow up with the body. That's why Jesus wants to grow the body up, because it's interconnected and intertwined. And So what we do is we respond to God with gratitude for the, grace, the gracious gift He's given us. For the sake of Jesus' family, we've got to help find your gifts so that you can use them for God's glory because the body of Jesus is missing something without your gift. It's missing. It's, 
It's lacking, it's suffering, it's weak. Why do we see the weakness in the church today? I remember when I was in Argentina, I heard a missionary say this to me, a country that's been in a massive explosion of church growth and revival for probably uh, five decades now, at least, maybe six. And he's been there through most of it. And I asked him, I said, what, what is revival? What is, what is that? Here's what he said to me. He said, revival is when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. Now, there's a lot of ways to look at that. I've thought about that for years. And I've found it a deep well you can draw off of and get deeper meaning and deeper meaning. When I take the gift that God gave me by His grace and I use it on Christ's family, the body of Jesus rises in strength and I rise in it. I grow up inside it. And so that's why maybe you've heard us say uh, life streams. You know, we started this thing uh, a couple years ago. And last year we started it the second Sunday night of every month, live streams. Why do we do live streams as a church? Because Ephesians 4 says the role of the church, the role of the leadership of the church is to equip the person for works of service. Equip every Christian for works of service. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. The second Sunday night of August, guess what? We're going to start back live streams. I'm, I'm not just giving you a commercial. I'm showing you how the body of Jesus works. And a 101, 201, 301, 401, 301 class is all about who did God make you to be? What gifts did God give you? And how can, we, how can we help you find them? And how can we help you use them? That's what the whole thing's about. I think that kind of training is a huge part of Ephesians 4. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't know that, if you haven't found that place, if you don't know what that gift is, if you, if you want more information on what God gave you, then join us, join us uh, the first Sunday night, the second Sunday night of August. Look, I'm convinced we've got the training right. We've got the, we've got the assessments right. We've got that pattern down right. What we don't have yet is the best way to communicate it. So it might sound confusing. What is a live stream? You know, is it the fountain of youth? What is that? So... I want to encourage you to join us for live streams in August. We can help you do what Ephesians 4 says that you can do. So, what is the, what is, why did God give you gifts? Why are you gifted? You are gifted because God's grace gifted you. You are gifted to help bring the body of Christ into maturity. And so, God has given us inside the body, maybe you've seen this, Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And, and, and I, I think there's been, you know, look, I've, I've studied this passage for probably 20 years, on and off, on and off, on and off, trying to understand how is it exactly, like what did he mean by that? Uh, because if you look in 1 Corinthians, if you look in other verses, you've got all this information about what you got. you got elders and you got you know, presbyters, and you've got pastors, and you've got teachers, and you've got leaders, and you've got Philip the Evangelist, and you've got all this scattered uh, amalgamation of stuff that just seems very confusing to me. But here's what I wanted to do. Uh, I I've got uh, an outline of the roles. Go ahead and put those up. I want to show you something I wrote uh, just for today, and I don't know if this will help you, but just leave it up there, and I just want you to look at it. I think our traditional understanding of Ephesians 4 has been he gave apostles and prophets and are you an apostle? Are you a prophet? I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, because he said in Ephesians 4, 7 what? I think certainly 
God has given gifted leaders to the church. But if you look at Ephesians 4, 7, what does it say? He's given each one grace, right? By the grace of God, he's given each one. So here's all I've, all I've done. I've just put apostle, prophet, pastor, and then and teacher and evangelist, and I've just listed a bunch of stuff that that would incorporate. So here's what I want you to do as you're, as you're reading it. Where do you see your gifts play out in the church? Do you see your gifts in, in, a, in a leader, a apostolic role? Do you see your gifts in a prophetic role, in a pastoral role, in a teaching role? I, I tend to think that these are roles in the church that everybody's gift can function in. And they, they, need to be, they need to function in balance. So, for example, an apostle is a leader or a manager or an administrator or a giver. That person has an advancing passion. And you can see how Jesus has brought this about in the church. Look, here's what all the leaders want to know. Every leader in the room this morning wants to know, when are we going to take the next hill? Right? It's an advancing passion. My passion is to advance. And then you got the prophetic people whose, whose passion is motivational. When are we going to touch God? When's the Holy Spirit going to move? When, when are we going to see the, you know, when, it, when is God going to get to do what God wants to do? And then the pastoral people, if, you, if you, your giftings flow there, what you're going to wonder is, I'll tell you when the church is going to be what the church ought to be. When we really care for people, when we really love people and care for people and take care of people, then you got the teacher role. The teacher's passion is an empowering passion. When we teach, when we, when we write, when we talk, when we train, that's when the body of Jesus is going to be what it needs to be. Then if you have an evangelist passion, I'll tell you what, one day God's going to move so much that we're going to shut the church down and we're going to spend all day Sunday just doing evangelism, right? Everybody's got their passion. Which one is most important? All of them. You've got to bring all of them to bear in the body of Christ so that when those giftings flow in the body, the body grows up and becomes mature. Not any one of them will work. Look, I, I can remember um, a few weeks ago I was talking to Andrew and Alicia Hicks. Maybe, you, maybe you've met them in our church. Andrew uh, and his wife about eight months ago started this journey where they realized that God had gifted them uh, to, to work with college students. And uh, so they're the, they opened up a Chi Alpha uh, group, which is a Christian college group at University of Montevallo. And uh, at the same time, their daughter was battling this crazy illness that just has, has, has just been a burden on all the family. And you see how the enemy starts to attack when we move in our giftings. But Andrew said to me, I mean, despite it all, they've been to doctor's appointment and they've been to the hospital and they've been through treatment. They've been through all kind of stuff. Andrew said to me two weeks ago, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, I want to thank you, listen to this, for helping us find our life passion. We've never been happier in the middle of the deepest family struggle they've ever had. Their little girl has a, a pediatric rheumatoid arthritis. It's very intense, and it's caused suffering that most of us can't imagine. But in the middle of one of their worst battles, he put his arm around me, and he said, I want to thank you for helping us find our passion. We've never been happier in our life or more at peace with what God wanted us to do. You know what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? They are going to be used by God to do incredible things 
that will grow the body of Jesus up and them inside it even as they grow. Do you believe that? So here's the last thing, and I ask the worship team to come. I'm gifted. I'm gifted because of God's grace. I'm gifted to bring the body to maturity. And then I'm gifted to bring, to bring the church to unity. Uh, like I said, there's so many themes inside this passage, we couldn't even get to them. When it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. Unity doesn't mean that we're all alike. Unity doesn't mean that we all think alike or we all have the same strengths. Uh, that's uniformity. And as you saw a few weeks ago when we had people on our stage from different generations and different ethnicities and at different stages of their walk with Christ, that diversity brings a phenomenal unity. And in this passage, the only way that the body of Christ, ironically, will ever find unity is in its diversity. We'll never find unity by all being alike. We'll never find unity. All you find is imbalance. And all you find is uh, misapplied growth. And all you find is shallowness when we're all alike and we all think alike and we're all from the same place and we're all... That's not the idea. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit poured out on the on the church those people flooded from that upper room into the streets and people were hearing in different languages and speaking in different languages and there was an unbelievable diversity that flooded those city streets fueled by an unbelievable unity God gifted you so that you could help bring the church to unity what does that mean? You don't have to try to be anybody else. You don't have to try to be good at something you're not. You don't have to try to be like anybody else. You don't, we don't have to have our three or four favorite talents and everybody's got to be one of them or you don't really have anything. Every person in this room, by God's grace, is gifted. And when you do what God graced you to do and you let everybody else do what God graced them to do, it brings a unity in the body that will flourish and make us strong and effective and fruitful. And inside that body, you become incredibly mature and strong and filled with grace. Would you stand with me this morning? I, I know this is much more of a teaching, but Ephesians 4 is loaded with understanding. It's loaded with insight. It's loaded with revelation about the body of Jesus and what we really want, what we really need the church to be. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come this morning. You just joined me here. And I want to pray with you before we go, and I want to give you an invitation to come and pray.
out loud with me. And I, and I want you to ask God, I want you to ask God to show you what your gift is. I want you to ask God to reveal to you what are the gifts by grace that He's given you? What are the things by grace that He's made you good at? What are the abilities by grace that He's put in you? And, and I want you to ask God to help you to use them. To use them to let the body flourish and mature and grow and become strong and alive. I want to ask you to, I just want to ask you to pray that with me this morning. And as you pray it, it's going to, it's going to become a confession reality to you. That God has given me grace. And after we pray, the worship team's going to begin to sing and have a need, I want you to come and let the prayer team minister to you. The prayer team is here because God, by grace, has given them gifts. Would you just, would you just, we're going to pray out loud, and I want you to connect. There's something deeper happening in this room this morning that, than words can even explain, and I want you to connect with the reality of the work of the Spirit. Would you, would you just begin to pray with me out loud, and would you just begin to say this, Lord, I thank you today that I'm gifted. Start with gratitude. Lord, I thank you today that I'm gifted. Would you begin to thank him? Lord, I thank you for the gift of God that's come into my life by grace. Lord, I thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that has given me abilities, that has given me strengths, that has given me gifts. God, why would I have a gift at all? Why would I be good at anything? Why would I have any strength if it weren't for your grace? Come on, would you just thank him this morning? Lord, I thank you today for the grace of God that fills my life. I thank you for it. Now, Lord, I pray you would help me to find my gifts. Lord, I pray you would help me to be aware of everything you've put in my life. Lord, I pray that you would help me to find the ministry, the service, the gift, the ability. Lord, I pray you'd help me to find it today, to know what it is, to know how to use it, to know what I'm supposed to do with it. Lord, to use it in a way that glorifies you, not in a way that offers burnout or in a way that uh, misapplies it. But Lord, I pray you'd help me to find that gift. I pray you'd help me to be the part of the body that I need to be. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to take my responsibility to make this body mature and strong. Lord, I pray you'd help me to do that, to know where my role is. Lord, I receive your grace today. Come on, would you just pray that with me before we go? I receive your grace today. And I thank you for it. I receive the grace of God in my life. I receive the ministry of the body of Jesus. I receive the word of God into my life. Build me up this morning and make me strong. Build this body up and make it strong. Lord, make us everything you say we are to this city, to our families, to those around us, to the world. We bless you today, Lord. We bless you and we love you. With every eye closed.